Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When your manhood bends in a different direction, visit PDURO.com to find a urologist. Because a bend in your erection might be Peyronie's disease or PD. It's a condition that involves a buildup of scar tissue, also called plaque. But it's treatable. Zyaflex, collagenase clostridium histolyticum, is the only non-surgical FDA-approved injection for Peyronie's disease. Zyaflex is a prescription for adult men who have a plaque that can be felt and a curve in their penis greater than 30 degrees at the start of treatment. Along with daily penile stretching and straightening exercises, Zyaflex has been proven to help gradually reduce the bend. Results will vary. Don't receive if the treatment area involves your urethra, the tooth that urine passes through, you're allergic to any collagenase or the ingredients in Zyaflex. May cause serious side effects, including penile fracture or other serious injury during an erection, severe allergic reactions, including anaphylaxis, and localized skin and soft tissue death called necrosis due to hematoma, which could require surgery. You may feel sudden back pain reactions after treatment. Seek help right away if you have any signs of injury. Do not have sex or any sexual activity during and for at least four weeks after each treatment cycle, which includes two injections, one to three days apart. Tell your doctor about all your medical conditions. If you have a bleeding condition or take blood thinners, as risk of bleeding or bruising at the treatment site is increased. Ask your doctor about all possible side effects and for product information. Talk to a urologist about Zyaflex. Find a Zyaflex trained urologist at PDURO.com or call 877-942-3539. Offer deadline on Oak Street, mile three. Welcome to the housing market. I'm with Redfin and I'm here to help. I need to sell my house. Great. Redfin charges a 1% listing fee when you buy and sell with us, which is more than half off the usual fee and saves you an average of $8,400. Oh, wow. Is that all? Uh, yep. I'm kidding. You had me at 1%. Want to win? Sell with Redfin. It's real estate done right. Bidding war at the offer's counter in five minutes. Average savings is Redfin refund plus 1% listing fee. Subject to minimums. Not available in all areas. Learn more at redfin.com. The Fearless Curious Soul, Golden Ox Productions presents The Deep Reading, <laughs> connecting you to your soul show. This is Suzanne Wyman, The Deep Psychic. Welcome, and thank you for joining me today. Please think about the 
commentary that you relate to in this conversation. I want you to feel included and know that if this conversation resonates to who and what you are, then you are part of something greater than yourself. The universe is connecting to you and answering your prayers, your questions. Today I've got a really great guest. I've got a really fabulous conversation, so I'm super excited uh, to bring on somebody uh, to talk about a worldview, to talk about um, part of life that most people don't really give much thought to. And the idea is, is to create greater understanding so that people have more compassion, more love, and more understanding. <sighs> so, <clears throat> let me see if we, have, um, if we have Kevin here. And if Kevin can join me here on the show and share his experience. All right. I'm hey, here. Is that you? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Perfect. How are you today? Good. Good afternoon, and thank you for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. Inter- introduce yourself, please. Introduce yourself. I will. I will. And I also want to, I think we should establish our relationship a little bit, too, so people appreciate um, how, how well we know each other and how, for how long we've known each other. Um, uh, uh, we, go way, we, go way back, we go way back, don't we? We do. We really do. So, um, yeah, that's good. Can we get into that just for a minute? Sure. So, um, let's see. Um, I've known you since 1999. I think that's, I think that's right. That that's correct, right yeah. And, uh, right, and I'm married. I'm married to a wonderful lady named uh, Clara Spellerberg. She's my wife, and uh, she worked with you at, at Tango uh, when they first opened uh, back at the, uh, the year uh, 99 or 2000. And uh, we were just uh, young uh, 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 uh married couple with a one-year-old son named Dustin, and he's our only child, and thankfully he's still with us. But we're a small family of three, and I would say we kind of grew up together, you and I and Clara and Dustin, in, in the restaurant business, although yeah. I, was, I was with the county. She was a, a diehard uh, uh, shift leader for, for Jim Hall at Tango for all those years that um, she worked there before they closed about uh, a year ago, correct? Right, right. So it was, <clears throat> it was interesting because I opened the restaurant in December of '98. And the restaurant went through different changes as far as being owned and managers. I mean, I thought I could make it through any sort of transition, you know. The sale of the restaurant, it, it was a franchise. Cafe Tutu Tango was a franchise. And uh, the franchise went. <clears throat> and then I went through um, 72 different managers. And I um, went through the sale of the mall. The mall got got sold and so I thought I could make it through any sort of transition and um Clara you know joined very very early um I want to say that it was in the um so Dustin it was 21 years ago so it was it was <clears throat> it was in the it was like in the summer of 99 I remember it as being the early part of the summer like the first few days of June or the last few days of May but my memory is not always flawless and um, and I met your mom there for the first time. Your mom was there, and you were there, and there was baby Dustin. Correct. And that that, was... that, 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 that's how it started. <laughs> that's right. And um, Clara was um, a hard worker from the first day, and um, she very quickly established herself as the person who was capable of being the lead server and then right. she held that position as the lead server, you know, handling a lot of functions that ordinarily management would be used for. 
Um, <clears throat> but her people skills were outstanding in that situation, and she never put herself first. She always put the customer first. And, you know, it's funny because you were talking about the fact that in the beginning when the restaurant was just packed to capacity every single night, that was always my intention is that it was about the people first and it was me second. And when you operate in that way, the money comes to you and from where you don't ever really know. But if you're not focused on the money and you're focused on the service and the opportunity to serve, <clears throat> everything works out. So it was right. a big connection between Claire and I. We were not focused on the right. money, which a lot of people right. are. We were focused right. on service. Right, and that's what also that there's no there's no cliche about how a lot of people tell you who are very successful that everything they have um, gained in life comes from giving um, to people, not from taking. Right. Right, that's true. So we we want to be compassionate, um, and it is extremely um, it is a, a unique situation. There were dancers, there were musicians. There yeah, they called were, it spontaneous. They called it spontaneous entertainment, didn't they? Spontaneous entertainment. So I would walk up to a table and I would introduce myself, and um, and and people would get you know a reading, and then a lot of those people turned out to become long term or permanent clients, uh, people that I still talk to today. So I think a lot of reasons right. why people people don't like working in public. Um, working in public is tough. You right. got to live with those but, results. For sure, but it was a good concept, and uh, and it was managed well, um, even though it changed hands a few times. And I would say um, that Frank, also, also that uh, you know, you said that you you have some of your clients still from those days. And I would I would venture to say, even though it's closed now, that Jim Hall still has a lot of his clients at his new restaurant, uh, uh, Surf City Ale House in Huntington Beach, as a result of his good skills in management and and and, and I would say hospitality. Well, yes, that's true. I would hope that that was really true because there are people that you know, follow, you know, they follow restaurants. And he did have family and friends and longstanding relationships, and those people came into came into Cafe Tutu Tango, and that really would make sense that they would follow him to, um, what is it called? It's called Surf, uh, Ale House, Surf House? Surf City that? Ale House, yeah, on Main Street, just, uh, uh, just, uh, just uh, north of the pier, about two blocks next to Starbucks. In Huntington Beach, yeah. For sure, Absolutely. yeah. Absolutely beautiful location really a right. beautiful restaurant too really beautiful for sure for sure yeah, yeah. so so that's how we started that's going back 21 years which is you know it's not it's a long time ago but now i'm 50 now so 20 years isn't, <laughs> isn't, isn't what it used to be to me you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. for um, sure but it's funny because obviously you started out um being clara's friend a co-worker and then friend and then really good friend and uh you and i are kind of an unlikely pairing on paper i mean i'm not we aren't now but on paper, <laughs> i don't really we don't look like we belong together because uh, mm. you were in that spiritual world and that that world of uh, you know um, psychic world that you're in, and I'm I was in government, so that's just like right. oil and water. Uh, generally speaking, am I right? Right. Well, that's that's very true. But if you look at the situation, Cafe Tutu Tango in Orange was across the street from um, the jail, the juvenile detention, the girls' juvenile detention, the boys' juvenile detention, the, the men's town. jail. You're right. That was there right. too. Right. So it was all of those people, and then the lawyers and the judges from the um, the For courthouse, Lamar Justice they were, Center. They were, they were, yeah. they were, they were you know, good, good, good clients, and uh, it was in close proximity to to uh, a lot of those uh, government agencies. Don't, and it was that was the, right. even though you weren't downtown Santa Ana, you guys were in Orange, and there was a lot of 
uh, uh, courts and other uh, uh, agencies there, for sure. Yeah. And then, of course, there was, you know, the general hospital for Orange County was across the street. Right. And it was fun for me, too, Susan. To, to I, was, I used to brag about you guys, and especially my wife when she was working there, because we were connected um, to different locations of the courts where I actually started my <laughs> career. And we, we can get into that a little bit more often. We can do that a little bit more. We didn't have Facebook back then. We didn't have social media. But 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 I would see these people, you know, they would bounce back and forth from meetings from one courthouse to the other. And I was downtown, and I would always brag about you guys, and especially the restaurant and, and Clara, and go see her. And they did. They would all go see her. They would have their birthday parties there. And then we would talk right. about it. And then it became a thing uh, where um, people knew me um, as really an associate of Tango, even though I was, I was a uniformed officer, you know? Right. So I was proud of that, though. I was proud of that association. And I... And I and, and I used to, I used to plug uh, the restaurant and, and and Rich Flynn, the artist there, which is your husband, right. all the time. Right. And it, I think I think it really helped uh, uh, Clara, and it helped me too because uh, they had such a good experience to come back, and it would, it would help me um, make friends and uh, and just uh, have good relationships with, with my coworkers and beyond. Huh? You know, it's such a such a great what a what a great intro because, um, you know, people's lives have changed as the result of the courthouse. And um, or the hospital, and so to have some place that was positive, that was fun, <clears throat> and it was really unique. It was not just going to the restaurant; it was actually an experience. And so then, then you're right. You would have had something social, um, something fun, something, something positive fun. to talk about, because there was a lot of negativity and, and a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of sadness that I would see in my career. I mean, just to just to to make it more crystal clear to the listener, uh, uh, to be honest, I was I was a deputy marshal in Orange County in the in the 90s, and then I changed into the. We'll go into this later, but I was also then I was became a sheriff because we were absorbed by the county uh, sheriff, and then the, they abolished our department. But but for the first 10 years of my career, I was a I was a street cop, and I was just a, a highly paid security guard. Uh, you know, and, and I was I was but I was still I was still a, a police officer, but my 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 my, my duties pertains only to the jail and all i mean right. i'm sorry to the courts and all court business so so it was a real privilege to, to be in law enforcement but then i had to be exposed to what you see on the news i was just more like a customer service guy and it's really more politics and, and and being more of a of, of a salesman and a customer service guy because you're dealing with the public the jurors the attorneys and then you had to get serious when you're dealing with the inmates and the criminals but you know you knew how to balance that and you tried to and you, you could be a, a regular person and have a regular life because we were 8 to 5. We weren't weekends and holidays and, and, and shift right. work because it was all court hours. So that was a real privilege for me when I was young. That all changed later. But, uh, but, but for, those, for those first 10 years, um, when, when Claire was uh, you know, just starting out there uh, in the restaurant and, then, and afterwards, um, you know, a lot of these folks went and saw her uh, were already friends of mine, and, uh, and they, would, uh, they were eager to, to go somewhere outside of uh, the courtroom, you know, where they could relax and have fun with people they knew and they respected and uh, – and they would come back and rave, and it was a thing for a long time that uh, I was known for, for being kind of a, a member of that of that restaurant too. <laughs> I think that's really cool. Um, it is it is a really kind of complicated, multi um, layered process, and I personally always made that effort to talk to the police officers that walked the beat at the block at Orange because. Um, it was a tough position. It was really a very social position. And knowing different people is what made it part of their home. And so, um, and that was, and it was such an interesting idea because I kind of I haven't thought about so many of these things until you start talking about it. But the block at Orange was so densely packed with people 
that they, you know, they had to have, they had to have, you know, patrol guys walking the the area. And so it was a very, it was a multi-layered process. Here it was. It was yeah, it was for the city within the city is what you're saying, right? Right. It was. And so, you know, I, I, I knew all of the officers. I knew their stories. I knew their wives and their children. And sure. Tango, Tango was the spot. People would come in and they well, would it was the hub. There. It had to be the hub. It had to be the hub of the block because of its location. It was right in the, in the heart of the uh, the mall there, and it was uh, uh, right across from the, the the AMC theaters, which were very very popular. And so it was a great location, and uh, and it was really, I mean, it was synonymous with the block. And uh, I would even I would just say Tango, and I wouldn't go any further. And people um, in, in my circle would know exactly uh, where that was, and I didn't have to go any any further into details and, and directions. And and that was I was always proud of that, you know. Yeah. It was it was an amazing it was an amazing chapter it really was it was an amazing piece of history. Um, so that, within, yeah, that's where our friendship started, right? Right. That's and that's where and you know what, Kevin, you had later on when Kevin was, when when Dustin was a little bit older, you two would stop in for a minute and just say hi, and I so looked forward to those conversations because. Oh, I had to do that too because I was married and uh, we were working opposite shifts. I was on days and she was uh, on nights. And, and living in Orange County, um, you need two incomes. Even if even with my good income, it wasn't really enough to live the lifestyle I wanted to live. So, so we chose for ten years or more, um, you know, um, to, to 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 work those hours. And uh, and then we had to make up the, make it up to her in some way that uh, I would go and visit her at night at the restaurant, maybe have a meal or just poke my head in with Dustin so that we could still be a family because otherwise we wouldn't see each other at all except uh, maybe right. on the weekends uh, during the day. So it was it was one way to kind of fill the void, right? Right. And, you know, I mean, Dustin grew up there inside of that restaurant. <clears throat> he sure did. And, now he, and he actually started working for Jim uh, when he was old enough, <laughs> didn't he? <laughs> that was a surprise. I felt old yeah. in that moment when I heard the news oh, for that sure. Dustin but was the manager. Jim's got kids like, was... yeah, yeah, go ahead. I felt old. But, I, mean, I, I wasn't, I wasn't too surprised by that. I wasn't too terribly surprised. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if Jim's, kid, Jim, Jim's boys uh, themselves, uh, at their age, uh, soon to be adults, uh, don't start doing the same thing, at least as a stepping stone. That's true. It's true. Kevin, talk about yourself. It's a great intro how we got to uh, know Let me just give other. a shout-out to my wife real quick. Yeah, let me give a shout-out to my wife because this is important. This is a strange time we're living in. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's a happy time because hopefully everybody's safe at home and they're doing their, uh, their part to, to, to slow the spread of the, pan, of the virus and the, you know, fix this pandemic we're in. But also my wife's in kind of a strange place, too. Uh, we've yeah. been married for 27, 28 years, and I just want to give a shout-out to Clara because right now she's in El Salvador. She's Salvadorian, but, you know, um, we've been married forever, and so she's more American now. But, but the point is she went down there for <laughs> the family business, you know, and, uh, right. and she never, she hasn't come back. I mean, she's with family, so that's the good thing, but she's been locked in down at the border there. So, uh, it's sort of a, a sad thing for our family, especially Dustin and I, that, uh, she's not with us. Uh, we talk all the time. That's kind of why I got Facebook, which I never had that before. Cause it's so more, so convenient. So it's so much less expensive to, to, to talk to on messenger. So I've been doing that. We're connected, but it's just an odd time in, in the world. And especially for my family with, with her, especially being down in El Salvador, not being able to come home and me certainly not being able to go down there. And even if I could, frankly, it might not be a good idea with their health care system and everything else. So, so she's inside. Right. She's with her family. She's staying off the streets and is out of the public. But uh, it's just uh, it's been three months now or more, and it's, it's unusual and strange. So uh, hello to Clara, and sorry you're not with us, and uh, we're thinking about you, okay? Uh, so, Kevin, January 21st, February 21st, March, April, May, June, we're coming up on six months. 
It's been hard. Yeah, nuts. I never, I, I never thought it would, it would happen this way. You know, first of all, nobody saw this coming uh, back in no. January uh, or maybe February. But then she was already there. And it was she had the opportunity to fly home one week, and we didn't think it was going to be much of a of a pandemic. We thought that that's just the media blowing it up or whatever. And uh, maybe we listened to Trump a little bit too much in the beginning and the news, and uh, and then we turned out to be a lot bigger than than, than we thought it was. And so then she really right. literally got locked in, and then. At that point, nobody could go anywhere. So that's where she's at now. And it's probably better right now for everyone that she stays there because, um, you know, obviously, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, variables out there. And we want her to be safe, and I want to be safe. And so and I, if I go there, i got to quarantine. She's got to quarantine. So we're just going to, uh, you know, lay low. And I'm with family, which is going to with my, my mother right now in my grandfather's house. So I'm talking to you from a, a nice home in Santa Ana, California, where I grew cool. up. And uh, fortunately, I'm safe, and she's safe. And, and we're thinking about each other, and we're together in spirit. But uh, can't wait to get back with her, right? <laughs> I miss her. At first, I called her up and told her, Clara, you need to come home. And she said, if I come home, I have to stay in quarantine. I must have called her up, like, over and over again. And finally, she said to me, she said, Suzanne, when you say that, it just makes me feel bad. And I'm like, Clara, you need to come home. But, you know, everything works out for a reason. We don't really know what the higher purpose here is. God's in charge. And there's right. a reason why it's unfolded this way. We have faith, we trust, and we go forward. Even if right. we don't know, because we accept, right? That's our job to right. accept. And that's what I kind of want to talk about, too, a little bit with you, is that uh, let's, let's, let's be honest. I mean, uh, I think the reason that we became uh, friends and, and stayed friends was because uh, right. even though, like I said on paper, we don't really seem like a, like, like a, we're opposite in so, in so many ways, right. but, but yep. deep down inside we're, we're very similar and we have a lot of the same beliefs and morals. And, I, and that's right. one thing I, I admire about you, and that's, that's something that's more well, important you. than that you're – well, it's more important than your career and your and your, and your <laughs> skills as far as your education. It's really it's all about the person and, and, and their and their um, quality, you know. And also, I would say you are that type of person. You're just a high quality individual who's a, who's, a, who's a good influence on, on not just me but but everybody uh, around you. And so, uh, it's not a hard decision to be friends with you. Okay. Oh, thank you, Kevin. And that's an interesting thing because I said to you that the success of your life working in law enforcement was centered in the fact that you made family the center of your world. And then I was thinking about how compassionate you truly are that it made you an extraordinary individual that is well-suited for the position that you took up in law enforcement because of your ability to have a good relationship with God, your ability to demonstrate compassion in adverse circumstances, and to be that person that is completely trustworthy is so rare. But you're right. I don't think that we would have gotten to know each other the way we do if it hadn't been for the fact that I worked for, with your wife for 20 years. So, right. Yeah. And, and, and I was fortunate for me, I was raised in a good family. My grandma was a, a good Catholic Irish lady. And uh, I mean, I probably have not as proud as she was with that, but I do appreciate some of the, some of the things that she passed down um, to me as far as morals and values. And so I took that into my life, you know, not just my work, but my home life too. And so that's why yeah. I'm probably still married. And also um, <laughs> I did treat people the way, the way she taught me to treat them, my grandma and my mother, and my, 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 my father for that matter. And so I have two siblings as well, but they're one older, one younger. But, uh, but I was the only one that went law enforcement. And uh, it was just a struggle at first, but then you learn how to, how to balance that. And, uh, and uh, that's what I did. I was able to kind of still uh, keep my, uh, my, 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 my morals and values and not have to, you know, uh, but also still do my job, you know, and, and, not, uh, and not have to compromise that too much because that's important to, to be able to stay yourself and to do a job that's really difficult where you sometimes have to be a, 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 an, authoritarian, an authoritarian, which is what I did uh, when I had to, but I didn't really take a lot of joy in that. But, you know, mm -hmm. it needs to be done. You know, somebody has to go out there and, and protect the public from some of these uh, 
uh, criminals. And, uh, you know, they're far and few between, but the ones that are out there, um, you know, we, we know from, from training and experience and education that, uh, that uh, you know, we have, to, we have to protect the public, and that's what I did for um, 30 years. And uh, I'm proud of it, but, you know, it doesn't really identify me either. I'm not one of these guys, Susan, who's pretentious when it comes to that. I'm, I'm on this, this podcast because you invited me, but I don't look for uh, publicity. I don't, I don't look to, to, to talk about my career, but I'm happy to do it with you because you're a friend, and I right. hope I can – I would like to bridge the gap too if I can – with, with the public and, and we were just people out there who obviously don't know anything about us, you know, and, and who we are. And uh, I, I mean, I, I, I would say I've worked with a lot of good people, but I also worked with a lot of people you see in the news, some of the ones that are, that are pretentious, they're a little heavy-handed and whatnot, and that always bothered me about the career. So I tried to do my job and, and distance myself from, from those, those types of people as much as I could, and it hurt me too in my career because if you want to go get ahead in that business, you have to drink the Kool-Aid. And I, I, I kind of put my foot down at a certain point and said, listen, I know my job, and I know what I need to do and how to do it correctly, and I know God's looking over me and he's watching everything I'm doing. So, so I can do this job, but I'm not going to go any further than this line here. And, and, and some of the things on the other side of that line weren't that egregious, but things I just couldn't do, and it cost me uh, some promotions and stuff, which I'm fine with that. At the end of the day, I have to live with myself, and, that's the, and that was the price I paid, but it was well worth it. Do you hear me? I do. So you know what? You and I yesterday, we had a conversation, and we kind of – we kind of discovered, discovered sort of a crossover point. So I'm going to I'm going to start out the story, and then you're going to bring in your side of the story. Um, so one of the questions that people um, used to ask me a lot, but thank God they don't ask anymore. They asked me if I'd ever worked in law enforcement, and so it's kind of an interesting thing. If you do work with somebody in law enforcement, first of all, they have a rule that they don't pay psychics for doing the work. And then the second thing, and if they do pay them, they pay them off the books. They don't ever document that pay. But I never got paid for my work in working with law enforcement. But I found it to be some of the most depressing um, work because even if I came up with answers, you know, so many pieces of the situation had resolved themselves in other ways. You know, somebody had died, somebody had been killed. You know, it was just it was just sort of a really tangled web. But I used to drive down to my parents' house, and I would drive past this um, motel, and the motel had um, a huge um, billboard up, and it said, uh, if you have seen this woman, please call the following number. I remember the name to be Denise Hubber, but I didn't look it up, so don't quote me on that. I think you're right about that, by the way. Okay. I think you're right about that. I can tell you who the the convicted killer was, because I remember his name from being in the courts after that. Go ahead. Right. But every time I drove past it, you know, um, every time I drove past it, I looked at that and I thought, why do they have that up there? She's dead. And nobody's going to see her and nobody, nobody's going to call that number. I never had a thought that went further than that. It was just literally, I'd see the sign every time I drove past it. And I'd go, Who, what is that? She's dead. And I never thought, I never thought like about it again because it wasn't something that somebody came to me and asked. So um, later on, they did a series on it, and they explained the whole story. But now you're part of the story, Kevin. Now you bring in your part, because it is a cool story, a really cool story. Well, it's kind of a small world, because um, I was about her age um, when she was uh, abducted, if that's the right word. And I wasn't even in law enforcement. I was probably in my late teens, early 20s. So we're going back probably 30 years ago. But I remember feeling some sort of... Uh, uh, kinship with her in that she was a peer of mine in that it was Orange County. She was a young woman about my age. And, uh, and I thought, man, that, that could have been somebody I knew, you know, because we were in the same peer group age-wise and we was Orange right. County. And, uh, you know, probably I know somebody who knows her. And but sad thing to see that this woman who's, you know, you know, my age, you know, just probably, 
innocent as can be um, is missing. And, uh, you know, there's really no explanation for it, you know, because obviously um, her parents loved her. They put up that billboard. But uh, long story short, um, you and I talked about this last night a little bit, too, that uh, they actually found the killer. And uh, you want to tell me how you said they found her, found him? Oh, that was so funny. So I, I, I don't know why I find it so humorous, but I, I just, you know, in, 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 in my spiritual training, we always say that, you know, you really manifest your own reality through your thinking, through your attitude, how you live your life. And so the person who had, you know, killed her ended up in a squabble with his neighbor because he was keeping uh, a long extension cord plugged in over his property. And it turns out that um, that plug was the ice chest that he was storing her in, and the neighbor got angry and brought in law enforcement, and of course they followed the electrical line and checked it, and then that was the beginning of how they found the person who had killed her. Well, I'll tell you what, I don't know all the facts of how they found uh, the killer uh, uh, line by line, but I can guarantee you um, it probably had a lot to do with him too as well, because he might have come to the door and answered the door. And and actually what we're we're going with this is that um, later in my life, when I became a, a court deputy, um, I actually uh, crossed paths with this, this person. I want to say his name was Farmalaro, but don't quote me. Uh, kind of an Italian last name. Uh, he was an Anglo guy, Caucasian dude, and uh, older probably when I knew him. He was in his 40s, but he became my prisoner, you know, while he was going to and from court. And I was the guy driving him back and forth in the marshal car. And I thought, wow, about five, six, seven, eight years ago, I was worried about this young lady, and now I've got the killer in my car. I've got all the answers to all my questions because – you know, just being a, a, a caring human being, you hate to hear about things like that happening, you know, when it's just innocent people, you know. So, so that, was, that was sort of satisfying to know they, they caught this guy. But also, um, he was a creepy dude. That's where I'm going with this. This guy was a creep. Uh, he just, he was just, you could just tell that he was just unkempt, you know, uh, looked homeless, and, uh, and just not somebody you would ever want to see, uh, you know, anywhere on, by yourself. And uh, so wasn't, he's not the guy that you would think, you know, Wow, this guy is a killer. I mean, no, he's not the guy you would think is, is a good guy. You could you could look at him and, and you would know he's he's, he's he's something's wrong with this dude. And that's what the police did. They found this guy. They probably started questioning him and said this is fishy. And before you knew it, they found her. Uh, and then, then the, the mystery was solved. And so he was convicted. I know that. And uh, you know, yeah. murder and everything. I don't know where he would be now. Probably in prison, maybe death row. But it was just uh, interesting for me that uh, you know, like you, you kind of felt something for her. And uh, you know, I actually right. later in life got to actually work on that case where I was a, a bailiff in that trial and. I don't remember very many details about that because it was so long ago. But there were a lot of trials that I did. There were murder trials and rape trials and robbery trials where, just like you said, as, 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 a, uh, as a psychic, it was just too sad for you to have to, to work in that environment. And I would say it was right. for me, too. And uh, to be honest with you, um, you know, I, I had my problems uh, early in my career where um, I didn't take care of myself as well as I should have because I think that I would try to, you know, kind of mask some of that, too, uh, at home, you know. And I never got into too much trouble, but... There were some years there when I was younger where I probably drank a little too much, you know, just because I was trying to numb myself from all the, all the photographs and all the testimony that I used to see of all the rapes right. and robberies and murders that, that I, was, I was involved in as a deputy. And I, don't get me wrong, I did a good job, never called in sick, and it, it didn't really affect my career, but, but I'm not real proud of that, that phase of my life. But I'm a better person for it now. But to answer the question, you're right about how even if you don't want to admit it, it does affect you when you're around um, trials year after year after year where it's all the same stuff, you know, graphic right. photos testimony uh victim impact statements from people that survived some of these attacks and listening to them you know and uh, they have their own problems too a lot of them and the ones that don't you know god bless them because it's is you know you just want to just forget about everything it's hard to do that so even as a spectator you know in those courtrooms uh, but also a major player in, in those trials 
um, it, it bothered me, but I got over it and I matured and I, uh, I you, you kind of get used to it and you learn it's a skill that you learn how to, how, how to, how to manage those feelings a lot better with time. And that obviously after that, I would say after I turned 30, 35, um, it was pretty much downhill with, with the emotions. I just was able to kind of uh, turn the switch off and on every day and I never had any trouble uh, with it after that. And I was able to go on and have a great career and also, you know, do a great job and, and not have any, any side effects from, from some of that stuff that we talked about, okay? Right. I, what I really liked was that you said that you were the marshal who transported um, the prisoner to and from the jail to the courthouse every day, and every single day you were trustworthy to be compassionate with this person. You right, know, you, right, right. That's another thing. you gotta be you got to be objective, and it's... That's why people get in trouble in law enforcement. They get they get personal with some of these uh, suspects out there, and then and then they, they end up losing their mind. And I never did that. I just uh, thank God that uh, you know I had the the mind the, the mentality and the, and the personality not not to lose my cool. Probably because I just I I, you know, I realized it was just a job, and you know I don't I'm not need more important than anybody else. And I always knew that too. And so I was lucky to have the job and to get the, the pension and the benefits that came with it. I never thought I was better than anybody. So when I was transported a rapist or a, a robber or, you know, a murderer, you know, I didn't ever um, treat them any differently than I would somebody who was in my car for, you know, multiple drunk driving uh, convictions, what have you. I just treated them like, 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 you know, professionally, like inmates and didn't do any favors for them, but certainly didn't, uh, you know, didn't, um, didn't, didn't do anything to actually uh, make their life difficult either or, or, or sort of abuse them. And so I'm proud of that. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I was by myself a lot of times with these inmates when I was the, the driver, too. That probably changed, by the way, Susan. I don't think that they do that anymore with those uh, high-profile uh, murder suspects where they'll let you drive anybody around just by yourself because that's only one, one level of security. Now you're going to find uh, with, with personnel and everything and what we've learned over the years, that you're going to have two or three deputies anymore with those kinds of people. But, but back in those days, you can get away with just being one deputy with one gun and one car and one, one you know, um, you know, uh, Charles Manson, so to speak, in your car, and right. you could, and you, so it's just a, it's a, it's a door lock away from, from freedom. Um, you know, they, they trust us to do a good job with that, and I did. Wow, that that is that is such a that is such a great commentary. So <clears throat> let me let me talk about a spiritual sort of concept that that plays out in this story. So um, we believe that how you treat yourself or how you treat other people comes back to you it it just it comes back to you so you know with with a good model of you know your grandparents and your own family you you took and upheld that model for no other reasons than you really wanted to be able to respect yourself at the end of the day and it's interesting because there's plenty of opportunities for you to take and you know, carry out a small abuse or a large abuse or anything else, but it never occurred to you. And so so we would say, you know, when we look at the metaphysical material, we would say that you treated the person exactly how you would want to be treated in those circumstances, and as a result, today, your world, your life is good. Yeah, I would say so, too. Thank you for that. Yeah, and, uh, you know, um, it was an easy decision for me to make, too. It wasn't hard at all. Because I just, uh, just knew that was the right thing to do, you know. And uh, yeah. you know, somebody, I mean, I, I, I always, I mean, I always thought that, you know, if you were a criminal, you know, and you were a really bad criminal, that you'd be lucky to have me as your deputy because I wasn't going to mess with you. But I wasn't going to do you any favors either. I just wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do things to you that 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 that, that, are, that are common in, in in the jail setting. Let's say where you can, you know, do a lot of things. You know, take away privileges. You can. Uh, you can even manhandle them a little bit and actually justify it if you really want to. If you can write, if you're a creative writer, if you can write a good report, and nothing will ever happen to you. I just uh, never really uh, 
participate in that sort of behavior. I saw it. Nothing too terribly egregious like you see on the news these days. But, uh, you know, I just uh, stayed away from the, those people and, uh, as much as I could. And, uh, again, I would say to this day, because I wasn't a go-getter when it came to that kind of stuff, that it did cost me a few promotions. But, you know, life goes on and I can live with myself, you see. Right. It's an interesting story to tell because it's really, it's really quite fearless on your part. And, and, and the conversation is interesting because um, there's just, there are there are flaws within the system. It's the same thing that I face, Kevin. I mean, there's a lot of people that have opinions about what psychics are and what it means to be a psychic. There's a lot of discrimination, and um, so it's it's very interesting. I think that when you know, I think any profession has you know people that should not be in those professions and should not be given that sort of power and authority. Right. And let's talk, talk about that for a minute because I'm telling you, this is the sad part. And, um, you know, uh, this is the truth, actually, about that, that, uh, you know, there's the things you're talking about that I, I sort of, I think I, I exercised in my career were some of the intangibles that, that, you, that you're just born with. And thank God that, that I was given those. And maybe that's why, you know, I was able to get that job, is that somewhere, somehow, somebody in the, in the universe knew that, that I would do a good job and that I was the right guy for that job and I would hopefully make a difference in the world um, during my career. And I think I did. But, unfortunately, um, what happens, though, is a lot of these people, uh, in that career, not all of them, but a lot of them, um, they're connected in some way where they don't even, not even really qualify to do the job. And I'm sure it's this way in every profession, be it acting, yeah. you know, whatever, be you know, politics, whatever, where you get the job because you know somebody. And those are the people that got into a lot of trouble because they took it for granted that they were going to be law enforcement, even when they were teenagers. And uh, they, did, they kind of had their nose in the air, and, uh, and they were probably affluent families and whatnot, you know, with dads and, and mothers that were high up in, the, in rank and what have you. And they would get these jobs, they would just hand it to them like a gift. I had to earn my way. I didn't know anybody in the business, and, and I was able to charm, charm my way, I would say, into the career, and, and, and it was a hard thing to do, but I did it, you know. And, uh, and these guys I worked with, they were, all, they were all connected to somebody. They had a cousin, an uncle, you know, a brother, or somebody important, um, which, which helped them, and uh, they didn't really deserve it. And, uh, and they would abuse their, their, their relationship with them and, and take advantage of some of the people. But, again, to be honest with you, um, nothing like I saw on the news. I mean, that's, that's a fact. I've been, we're privileged in a way that we – I'm in Orange County, California, which is, you know, it's, it's a pretty safe, um, you know, on, a, on average, compared to other parts of the world, it's a relatively safe place to live. Yeah. So we didn't have some of the racial tension that you're seeing right now in other areas of California and the world and, and the United States. So, so I didn't see a lot of that racism either, by the way, and I'm not into that at all. I don't, you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm married to a Hispanic woman, and I, uh, I'm, I'm proud of uh, my family, and, uh, and I, I respect all, all, all races and, 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 and religion, so to speak. So, so, but I did see a lot of... Yeah. Uh, a lot of that that happened where it was nepotism and, and people that were part of the cliques and whatnot and just related to other people that, uh, that, that, that they were the ones that got away with, with not murder, but that's the one way of putting it. Do you hear me? Yes. Yes. Well, so, you know, it's kind of a funny thing that you say that. It really, it really you know, Orange County, uh, I think Irvine, California, is probably like one of the safest places that there is and has the highest paid law enforcement officers of anybody in the country. So we do live in an extremely um, affluent area, which has a lot of culture, um, a varied history. Um, it has a lot of layers to it. So it is a rather, it is a rather unique setting in America right. when you think about that. I mean, when you go to Europe, you take and you travel, you know, so many kilometers. You're in another country. There's another language. There's another set of customs. You live here in this country, and you go from 
one part of the country to another part of the country, and there's a lot of different, you know, religions, customs, traditions, um, heritage, and everything else. Um, but where, you know, we live in Orange County, California, it is a very um, layered sort of process, and, and people take a great deal of pride for living here. I mean, you know, whether you're part of the family of Disneyland or if it's like you are, that you're part of the family of law enforcement, I mean, people have a sense of pride of where they belong in this region. Right, right. I, but I would say this I, right now before I forget this. Before I forget this thought, I want to make this clear. I would say if you want to make law enforcement a better business than it is and, and, and make the people that work in, in law enforcement better, then you should um, you should have um, outside uh, people, outside of law enforcement, civilians, um, uh, part of the, as part of the interview panel. Because right now the way I see it in my county, it's all cops and it's all, you know, higher-ups that are doing it. And they're all connected. They're all, you know, it's a lot of, there's an opportunity there for a lot of, I would say, um, corruption and whatnot with that, where the best person doesn't get the job. And it's the same thing with the promotional process, too. So they need to, to get a third party in there. And that how, that's how it has to be all over the country, so that you're not getting uh, these crazy guys that are just, uh, you know, guaranteed a spot because they were born into the business. You hear me? Right, right. You know, it's kind of interesting because other countries have come up with solutions for that, and they, um, you know, they have an individual who sits on a review panel, whether it's, you know, bringing a doctor in or if it's, you know, it's a situation with law enforcement, and they take and they, they bring in an individual, and that individual sits in that position and observes and gives their observations. Um, right. I understand that, but one person is one's not enough because the panel is sometimes three, four, five, six, you know, cops, right. you know, and it's one civilian. It's got to be more balanced, you know. And uh, I'm not saying it's not happening already because it probably is in some of the bigger cities because they know darn well that it's not right to do that. And uh, but in Orange County, it's not really happening, uh, especially with my agency. I don't think it happens at all. And if it does, it just happened recently because I've been gone for a year. So that's that's the biggest problem, in my opinion, with with uh, with, with recruiting is that it's not democratic. At that, it's not very democratic. Uh, in my case, it kind of was, but that was long. I actually got my foot in the door as a civilian, so so I was lucky to, right. to get just get my, my break that way. But I, that that that's one thing I would change for sure, Susan. Yeah, that's that's really that's really a that's a great point. So, um, you know, one of the things you told me about, you know, when we talked yesterday, is is that um, if you were working in a position of where you had to stop people, um, you might have stopped a thousand people, but you only wrote fifty tickets. So. That's a fact, yeah. That's a fact. That was later in my career. Yeah, that's not a, that's not a very that's not something you want to brag about too much because um, usually law enforcement uh, higher ups uh, they want to see you produce and work and believe me, I was working hard. I just wasn't doing the ticket writing they wanted me to do because I I was looking for criminals and the, the way I did that was I would make car stops, but I would find you know probable causes we say tinted windows, you know expired tags, you know fall tires, whatever I had to do, and then I would cite them. I would just find out who they were, why they were in my city, because a lot of times they were from out of, out of town, and, and times of day were important, not midnight versus 8 in the morning. And then right. once I found out they were okay and they were squared away, they weren't drunk, what have you, I would let them go. And, and, and probably I should have wrote them a ticket, but I, just, I never got any, any joy out of that because I know darn well that those are very uh, minor offenses. And, uh, and frankly, uh, you know, I know that those are, those are violations that we're all guilty of. So I would say it's one right. thing um, to let somebody go for something like, you know, um, robbery or burglary or some kind of grand theft, but I never really was felt guilty about not writing tickets for um, tinted windows and uh, and expired tags. Uh, although I would do that on occasion, but it was usually based on the the driver's behavior. If they were extremely disrespectful and rude, and, and I was re I was not video taped, but I was definitely audio recording 
my conversations, I, I, I said, you know, you just talk yourself into a ticket, and I didn't feel too bad about that. But nine times out of ten, says if they behaved well and they weren't criminals and they, and they, and, and they were respectful, and, and I would always treat them with respect, um, then I would just warn them, and, 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 and I want them to get their stuff fixed because the next guy who stops them um, isn't going to be as generous. He's going to be more uh, uh, brainwashed, if you will, and going to write a ticket for, for everything from a bald tire to a, to a cracked windshield. And uh, that's, that's his prerogative. You know, I'm not too crazy about that, but because I know that, like I said, even law enforcement and, and other government people do that all the time, and, 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 they, and they get away with it. And there is a double standard, but it's not too terrible. It's just when it comes to minor things like that, there is. Okay? Yeah, no, it, it is. It is really. I think. I think throughout the time that I've known you and listened to the different positions, so do a do a really. I mean, first of all, you went and worked in different areas, and I was always struck by the fact that you could always, no matter what you were doing, you could always find um, a way to be compassionate and to be, um, you know, treat the person. Well, Thank you. Thank you. But let me just talk about that because it's probably confusing. It might be confusing to the listener to hear me talk about writing tickets when I talked about being in the courts forever. So, so what happened after 10 years in the courts um, and 10 years into my career, um, the marshals and the, and the sheriffs were from the county of Orange and they merged. So they abolished us and we became sheriffs, which was a good and a bad thing. It was good in the sense that we were part of a bigger department with a lot more benefits and opportunity. But at the same time, we lost our seniority um, when, we went up, when we joined them. And so, yes, I mean, there were more doors open for us, but in, in many ways there were a lot of doors that were closed, too, because we were the invaders, you know, and that was for the last 20 years of my life. So, so I took advantage of the, of the merger in the sense that I was able to get out of the courts and, and do some different things in law enforcement as far as patrol and other investigative-type positions. But as far as getting ahead, uh, um, I think it was a step back for me. It was a, it was a turn for the worst because as a marshal, we were smaller, people knew me. They had actually hired me themselves, and uh, they were going to take care of me and promote me if I, if I had done all the things that uh, I was supposed to, which I did. But then when I became a sheriff, I was an invader. You know, they weren't necessarily rude to me. They just they were saving all their promotions and all their good jobs for all their – we talked about all the kids of all the higher-ups and all the friends of all the kids. So you we were really outsiders, and it really – it hurt me a lot. I mean, I knew that after about probably five years into the, the merger. But I said, you know, I'm just going to run with this and do the best I can and, and get to the finish line, which is ultimately, you know, my 30-year career and, uh, and the pension that goes with it. But I, I realized that at a certain point – Unless I was really, really ready to drink the Kool-Aid, I mean, to the max, and to, to believe that everybody's out to get you and that everybody out there is a sex offender. I just, uh, I couldn't, I, you know, I, I, I couldn't, couldn't, get, couldn't get ahead because you have to have, you have to be a gun, a gun carrier. You have to carry your gun off duty all the time or you're not cool. I never did that. I was a family man. I mean, I, I did my job. I carried my gun on, at work. and project, I was very good at it, by the way. I was a great shooter. But it wasn't, I don't, right. I'm not a gun owner, you know. And so that, that was a big turnoff to those guys. And unless I was willing to do those things and shoot with them and go camping with them and all that stuff, network really, which acceptably, uh, you know, it's an acceptable requirement. I just decided not to do that after a certain point because I realized it wasn't going to pay off for me because it's all about who you know. And we didn't know anybody because we were the invaders. You hear me? Right, right. You did form some great friendships. I like the story about when you were working in the courthouse that you had time to play tennis for lunch. I like that story a lot. I don't know. Well, exactly yeah, and that was the why. best part of my career is that I was able to. I was lucky, and that was those were the good old days because when we were the marshals, we could play tennis with the judges and the, and the attorneys, and we were all a family. It was a, it was a court family. We called it a court family. So I miss right. those days and the camaraderie. But you know, it's funny. I'm retired now, and it's only been a year. And I just I just became a Facebook member for the first time in my whole life because of my career. I didn't want to be uh, known um, on Facebook because I wanted to be anonymous, you know, with with my mm-hmm. family and whatnot. And now that it's been a year, and I don't care anymore, and Nobody's looking for me. Um, all my buddies from 20 years ago who I played tennis with, the lawyers, 
uh, some of the clerks and some of the civilians that I worked with, they're all, they're all trying to friend me. And it's, really a, it's a real compliment to me. And it's very flattering. And I've been friending everybody. And I, I never uh-huh. thought that things I did 20 years ago would, 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 would really um, benefit me today, you know? Yeah. So, Kevin, you know, you talked a lot about charm and charisma and everything else. And um, there's an expression that people say, and they say that, you know, there's an Irish charm. And I think you fall into that category in that uh, you can relax with a person enough in order for them to be who and what they are. And there's, in having a conversation with you, Kevin, you never, you never don't say what you really think or feel. And for me as a person, because I've spent a lot of time looking at my part in a situation and how I feel about something, I love it because I like it when somebody is straight with me and they're just direct. Well, no, I don't agree with that. It's so much easier because you know where I stand, I know where you stand, and we go forward. But you do have that... um, you do have that Irish charm, and people do like to come. Well, and thank talk you. To you. My, yeah, and my grandma was an uh, Irish woman, you know, and she was really big on the Irish traditions and whatnot. Uh, you know, Grandpa was a great uh, baker, and uh, he was he was not Irish, but he was Dutch. And anyway, um, point being is that uh, she passed down some traditions and some good habits uh, to me, and uh, I'm proud of my grandma, Christine Botts, who's now uh, deceased, but uh, but definitely you carry on with her her traditions. And she was married for seventy years, so hopefully I follow in her footsteps in that regard as well. Because it's a real special thing, special thing yeah, to be to be that type of a person. So, so I admire her and love her, and my grandpa too, who recently passed away, Homer Botts, uh, this year, and uh, great people. So, so thank you for saying that. I definitely get it from them, and even my mother too, who's also a great woman. It's just uh, just a little bit different uh, than her own mother as far as some of her uh, her her family success, so to speak. Okay. Right. So you retired in a golden pig year, and I remember okay. I remember you were, you were you were talking about that. And the Chinese calendar is based on the story of Buddha calling the animals to him. He calls the animals to him, and when each one comes through for their blessing, it that's the year. And so there's twelve animals, there's twelve signs, there's um, and the day is divided into twelve two-hour segments. And so. <clears throat> uh, and then, then it gets like a metal, and then certain times it gets like gold. You know, one might be gold, one might, might be silver, different types of metal. But you retired in a golden pig year, and I remember that time I said, I said to you, and I think it was one other person, Darlene, I told them, I said, if you retire now, you will get more benefit than you could probably ever get in another 75 years. It will turn out, and next year you won't have the same opportunity. You are all set to retire but this was more of a conversation that I had with Darlene. But it was interesting because I said that to somebody, and they said, well, what happens next year? And I said, I don't know, but next year it's totally different. It's gone. And, you were right about you that. Know, you were certainly right, right. about that. Look where we are now. One more thing. Just for the record, too, I think this is important. It's not important to me, but maybe to the listener, um, since we're talking about uh, things like that, I, I, I was born in August, August 6th, so I'm a Leo, just for fun, okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. You're a Leo. That's true. I was thinking about that when I was getting ready for the show. You're a Leo, but I don't know who you are on the Chinese calendar, so that's a different But back, one. To, back to what you said, though, about, about the retirement thing. You know what? I heard some of the news say this is so interesting that you brought that up because right now with the pandemic and everything and this law enforcement people being short, short, so short-staffed and also very spooked by everything with, with, with what we've seen in the news, with the bad press, what have you, and the pandemic, uh, over in New York, I think it was, people were retiring at such a high rate they froze it. You can't even quit if you want to now, if you're a cop in certain cities. Can you believe that? 
Right? That's what I expected. That's what I would think. I would think that, you know, it's like, because who, 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 who wants to be in the position? I mean, the risks are so different at this point in time. People that were close to retirement or whatever, they'd be like, okay, I'm out of here. And so I would imagine there would have been a huge number well, of people that would have That was very me. insightful of you to think that, very insightful, because even in my own agency, which I wasn't there this year, but I had a buddy who wanted to retire, and after March, between March and June, I think it was, uh, that office was closed. So it was only a two-month window, but for two months there, the man couldn't, couldn't retire if he wanted to, and that could have <laughs> been me, and I, was, I couldn't work another day in my environment because of the things we talked about. You hear me? Right, right. And then you, so you, so talk, talk about the different positions you held. So, I mean, you started out in the courthouse. Yeah. Right. Yeah, just to, just to kind of uh, summarize a little bit. So, yeah, it was the courts, right, with the marshals, right? And then in 2000, the merger happened, right? And then I right. stayed a deputy sheriff there for, um, for about five years. So around 2005, 2006, I was probably at that point in my life, early 30s. And I started to see how, you know, I was getting to be too old to be in the same position for that many years, and you know, they found on that as a as a department. So, and I was kind of naive, so I thought that that something good might happen for me. That if I if I moved out of the courts and went um, to the jail and other places, that it would pay off for me. Which in some ways it did, but in, 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 overall it didn't really matter that much at, at the end. That uh, you know I didn't get uh, exactly where I wanted to go, but but I had a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong, and I had a good experience uh, while I was out there doing the different jobs, the jail, the streets, and then uh, ultimately I ended my career in a division called the Civil Bureau, where we did basically court work, but we were field deputies, and we did evictions, and, and we served warrants and stuff, and that, was, that wasn't a bad job. It was 8 to 5, which was nice. We basically worked uh, uh, Monday through Friday um, weekends off, so, so that, and that was already after I realized, okay, no matter what I do, how hard I work, or you know, how many skills I, I get, and how high my degree is, that no one's going to uh, work with me, because it's all about, you know, basically, like I said, the clicks and the, and, and the nepotism and all that stuff, and it's not really how it's not about hard work and perseverance, unfortunately, for my agency. I'm not saying that's the case in all of law enforcement uh, world, but in my agency, that, that was the case. Maybe it's changed now. When I was there, that's how it was. So I just went to where I would be safe and I would be welcome, which is a division that, where people knew me, and uh, nobody was really trying to, to get ahead or make a name for themselves. And that's kind of how I ended my career, on my terms, with good hours and, and a safe job, okay? Right. Right, and that, that brings us back to the beginning of my conversation that the success of your career was because you placed family, community, God at the center of your world, and the work was to provide for your family. It was not that you were trying to make a name for yourself in your work. And so that right. different focus is what made you, you know, a compassionate and exceptional human being in doing right. some work that is just incredibly difficult. I mean, you never say that. And any time I've ever spoken to you, never talk about the difficulty of the actual work because that never occurred. Well, you know what? Um, thankfully for me, you know, because I was, I, I think I had reasonably uh, good communication skills, you know, and I was, you know, I was trying to be, you know. I mean, this is my own community that I worked in. I worked in Orange County, and I cared about uh, this place, and uh, and I cared about the people that lived here, and it made a difference in the, my, my my performance. I wasn't in, I wasn't from another state that was in. The, I wasn't a military guy who, who just happened to end up in California, who just happened to need a job. So I took a lot of pride in in, in what I did, and uh, and, I, and I cared about the people that I was I was I was I was working with, and uh, even they some of them were bad, some of them weren't so bad that uh, that I took that into consideration on every call, and uh, I think it showed, and I mean, it's, it's sort of sad in a way that I didn't get more credit for that uh, as a professional and to get some of the, the nods that I needed to get from people. But, again, it was so political that even if somebody wanted to help me, they just couldn't really stick their neck out for me because it would, it would hurt their career because, again, I was that invader guy that uh, you don't really want to back. You know, you, you love them. You know, they don't treat you bad, but they just can't really vouch for you because it's mm -hmm. like, I mean, I'm not a Trump supporter, but it's like being a Trump supporter in Hollywood. 
you can't really talk about it, but you do support him, but you can't you can't talk about it, you lose your career. You hear me? And I was that guy. Right. Right. That's how that huh. But otherwise, you know, thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. And uh, and I will say this, when uh, I was doing some of the dirty work I had to do, which was uh, was like the evictions and stuff, you know, and uh, maybe some of the warrants I had to serve, believe me, um, you know, I went in there with, with uh, you know, at that point in my career I was a lot older, and I actually worked with a lot of older guys, and those guys were a lot easier to work with than the young guys because they were just a lot more uh, uh, experienced and uh, they weren't they weren't so uh, uh, eager um, to, to make a name for themselves and to and, right. and really push the envelope. So so I was happy to work with guys that were older that were you know obviously content with their career and not trying to make a name for themselves. And so we would tr- we would go out into these evictions and we would do our evictions like we had to because it was a court order, you know. And we but we weren't uh, pretentious at all about it. And we and when we had a problem, we would just back out and wait for another day because it was all civil. So it was, a, it was a good thing to end my career in a division where we weren't faced with a lot of, uh, you know, dangerous criminals. I mean, not to say right. we couldn't come across somebody who was suicidal in a, in a, in a, in a desperate situation, but we, I was fortunate enough not to ever have to, to have to deal with that, okay? Right, right. Yeah, it is, it is, an, interesting, it is an interesting comment. You know, you were... When you talk about this, and, you talk about difficulty, you talk about how, how I never talked about how difficult it was. Now that it's over, I'm going to be honest with you, um, when I see things in the news where cops are getting killed, um, I say to myself, I did that 100,000 times, you know, and I'm, I'm so lucky now that I look back that I wasn't hurt because all the stuff I see where cops are killed, it's all things I did every day, all day long, and took it for granted, and I was just fortunate to be in a county or in, in a political uh, uh, culture where it wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't a problem for me then, you know? Right, right. But, you know, I mean, obviously, obviously, from my position spiritually, I believe that, you know, you were protected by God because your thinking and what you did in your life was the right things, and so you... Well, I appreciate right that, and, I, and I, 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 I thought about that myself often, that, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, this is because God's looking over me, you know, right. and, uh, you know, I, I, didn't really, I didn't really assume that uh, I would be safe all the time, so I definitely kept my guard up, but I, I, I thought the same thing, you know, I felt that, I had the feeling that you just, that you just explained, okay? Yeah, yeah, that is, that is a, that is a great, that is a great conversation, so, <clears throat> all right, so... Yeah, Kevin. You know, this is a this is a, a great um, conversation, and I think you have shared so honestly and so openly about some of the things that are really difficult. It is a risky thing to do to talk honestly and openly. Right. But listen, let me say this too, because I mean, I bashed, I did bash uh, law enforcement a little bit too, and I definitely want to say for the record, though, that uh, you know, I, I I thank all those people out there, all over America, for their service. I think they're doing a great job, and I don't think one bad apple should ruin it for every police officer. That's not fair, okay, because there's a lot of great guys out there who are risking their lives every day to help people make the world a better place, okay? Right. Well, that's, that's the thing that's most important. And I think the thing that sometimes happens, I mean, it's never perfect. There's other psychics out there that, you know, um, they give the rest of us good, hard-working psychics a bad reputation. That's a problem in all areas of the world, there's there's always a percentage of people that the difference is is that you know in law enforcement, you know somebody dies. Um, I give bad information. Somebody might experience some sort of a spiritual or an emotional death, but there's no physical death. So there is a greater responsibility for your work, and um, you know it is a great commentary for you to be able to say, you know what you did. And that you right. did it for the right Thank reasons. You. I mean, that is. Yeah. I mean, that's a. It's a great commentary. Right. Well, listen. I know it's getting late too, and I don't know if you have to close with some other uh, words mm-hmm. or whatever. But let me just uh, say one thing too. Thank you to. I don't know how many there are. Hopefully, there's more than one. Thank you to the listeners out there <laughs> if they stayed and, and tuned into this because uh, I think we had a great conversation. Don't you, Susan? 
you know what, Kevin? It was a wonderful conversation. The honesty of it, the moments where our paths cross over, um, you know, how much time that it took for us to get to know each other in different situations. Um, yeah, it's a great, I mean, it's a great piece of um, history about, you know, how we met and how our families became, you know, involved with one another. I mean, it's it's a really great story. I mean, these are the stories that, that make the world great. It is these ordinary stories. Right. And I want to thank you, too, for being a good moderator and helping uh, the conversation flow the way it did. And, and I also want to thank, uh, I want to give my uh, uh, regards to Richard, your, your husband, okay? Richard Flynn. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely fabulous, Kevin. So... Um, anything else you want to add? Anything else you want to put in there? We've got three minutes left. Well, I don't know how, how, the, how the clock works. I know we're running out of time. But other than just, uh, it's been a pleasure. I didn't know, even know what to expect. I've never done this before. But uh, you assured me yesterday that uh, it would be easy. You believed in me that we could get this done and it would be, be fun. And it has been fun, so I thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Hey, your dad was a radio personality, and you have his, you have his voice. So it's kind of interesting. And what kind of a well, you know what? Thank you for saying that. It was listen. It was my dad and my uncle actually. Let's, let's make that clear. My dad is Steven okay. Spellberg. My uncle is Larry Michaels, and they were both radio guys. I actually looked into that as a career, but I actually uh, chose to go uh, the law enforcement route. But uh, I thought it would be fun uh, when I was young, and then I realized, you know what? Um, it's a hard way to make a living, but it's still glamorous. <laughs> it is, but. You do have that voice for it, and you do have that way of enunciating your words that makes it easy to talk to you and to listen to you. So you do have that gift, and that was one of the things that I was listening to you. You asked me about it, and I said, Kevin, you'd be great on the show. There's no problem with it. And the hour has just flown by really quickly. We've dealt with some heavy material. We've dealt with some difficult things. But you have moved through it, and you have talked about it so honestly. It it really is a... It's really been a pleasure. It's extremely touching to my heart to do this conversation with you, and you've been a great guest. Thank you so much. Thank you, and we can do it again if, you, if, you, if there's ever a demand uh, for any more uh, uh, on this topic. Uh, you know, call me. I'm, I'm available. I'm retired. You know that. But I do, I do have hobbies and things, which is nice. So my retirement is, 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 is as good as I could have hoped, uh, although my wife isn't here. But when she comes back, we're going to hopefully enjoy uh, ourselves. And uh, right now it's more about just trying to, work uh, to get through this this pandemic and uh, and I wish everybody well out there this listening okay oh thank you Kevin that's great that's a great sentiment okay we've been talking to um, it is Suzanne Wyman and it is the deep reading connecting you to your soul join us next week you can call me personally 714-400-7384 blessings take care of yourself stay safe Enjoy what you do, feel good about your life, and that's the thing that's most important. And thank you for joining me today. Have a great day. Bye. Become a Goldilocks Productions VIP patron. Receive exclusive access to live stream special and other epic packs. Join the Goldilocks Productions VIP community today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.